even organizations that are known for proactive feedback, they will have paragraphs and paragraphs about how this particular individual is technically executing on a task or leading a team or getting financial metrics. And it's been true in my career for the last couple of decades that there will only be maybe one small sentence or maybe two or three sentences if the performance review is really good that talks about um, the interpersonal skills, the leadership skills, their communication style, their influence style, their mindset, their um, how they're managing stress, um, how they are... Um, at times not inspiring their employees or um, things that might be friction points um, for some of their, their direct reports. And there's so little. And then when we triangulate that with really good data taken from a validated 360 degree assessment, we'll actually see that even those performance reviews that are fairly comprehensive are not really aligned with what everybody else says that leader needs to do to be more successful. This week on the podcast, we have Barbara Singer, the CEO of Executive Core. Um, she is an incredible woman, first off, who is um, really excited and energized about the space of development and um, developing habits in management. Um, she really is a leader and provider of great thinking behind one-on-ones um, because right now our culture is shifting from talking once a year to talking often. So um, we will jump right in so you can hear all of her wonderful, uh, wonderful thinkings. Welcome, Barbara. We are so excited to have you here on Managing the Way podcast. Um, a little bit about Barbara. She is a CEO um, and president of Executive Core, um, which is a organization that helps um, executives and CEOs uh, kind of get to their successful point, help them understand how to better manage their people. Um, she also won Entrepreneur of the Year Award for the Flourish Conference, um, which helps women um, run their companies better. Correct? Am I right about that? It helps um, women leaders of all kinds and really encourages them to flourish in their careers, um, grow their networks, and just really fully embrace how, um, how wonderful they are. Mm. Uh, and of course, is trying to accelerate more women into senior positions into uh, organizations okay. of all kinds. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so the first question I have is, what are some of those pains, problems that your clients come to you with? And how do you help them solve them, that issue, and uh, get them to where they need to be? Well, well, obviously, whenever we're working with um, companies, and we work with uh, Fortune 500 and top FTSE companies around the world, um, Talent and making talent a true strategic priority uh, is paramount for just about everybody. Everybody is concerned with recruiting the best talent, developing the best talent, and retaining the best talent, and then making sure that they have talent in the right place to grow organically, that they manage their talent well through acquisition and merger, and that um, I think people are becoming more enlightened today too. Not only do they want 
um, the people that they attract to their organization to just be rock stars. They want the talent that they attract to their organization to also be happy. So I kind of joke, I think happiness is finally out of the closet. We talk about employee <laughs> engagement. We talk about productivity. Um, we talk about stretch assignments. We talk about tenure. How long do your employees stay? How well do you promote people from inside? What percentage of people are you recruiting from the outside? How do you do that? But I think it really comes down to, we have known for a long time, and I'm sure this has come up in other podcasts, but the number one reason that um, an individual employee will leave an organization is the quality of the relationship that they have with their supervising leader. Yeah. So the quality of their relationship with their supervising leader um, is inconsistent, it's frustrating at times, and if they do not see a future for themselves going forward, they will leave. And in fact, that's even true for CEOs. There was an interesting study done um, about 10 years ago, and they looked at, um, I've done a lot of work in partnership with Hydric and Struggles and other search firms over the years. We, all, we like to know, you know if a CEO is gonna make it. Um, if you have a CEO who is potentially on their way out of an organization, there are typically, you know, two to four successors internally that are identified, and they're usually very strategic to the success of the business. Those people will stay, even if their relationship with the current CEO is not strong, if they've got a good champion on the board, somebody that they trust, and somebody who's sponsoring them. When they have good champions with the other functional leaders and there are a number of people supporting them on a personal level and a professional level, then they are far more likely to stay. So whether it's at the top of the house in a corporation or you've got a young, talented individual contributor who's just starting out in their first role, um, the, the rule of strong relationships with somebody who has the ability to put you on a succession plan and strong relationships with people who can lift you up in your career are, are important variables and awful lot of data around and, and evidence and research around um, how that phenomena works. Yeah, no, that's very interesting that that relationship either makes or breaks that person's job in the long run. Um, so then going forward, those CEOs, those successors, how, what or what do you tell those managers to kind of help build that relationship? How how do they begin? How do they continue to do that? Um, I know at times we often are really excited about investing in people off the bat, but then when it comes down to it, we just we don't have the time or the energy or don't know how to invest in those people. So what would you say to to those people who are struggling with that? We have been looking at predictors for executive success and leadership success now for about 25 years. And we have kind of a battle cry in our company at Executive Core, and that is um, people will let you fail because they can't find a way to tell you that something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I've been through a lot of things in my life. This is crazy. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but. Um, yeah, in 2007, I, I was widowed 
And um, I was an executive reporting to our CEO and I was running, running a lot of responsibility for a lot of, a lot of P&L and um, everything in my life changed. You know, I was one of those leaders that if somebody was really struggling in, in an intimate one-on-one conversation, I could give them feedback. I really relied heavily on 360 assessment and gathering feedback so that it wasn't just me, but that there was a complete and comprehensive story. But there was always that little seed of fear inside of me, like, I can't believe I have to tell them that, you know, there is something wrong. There's something holding them back in their career. And it's like this little seed of fear. And when my husband Scott died, gosh, everything changed in my life. Obviously with a lot of kids, I, I was in survival mode. But what I realized is that what we're afraid about in the workplace is so um, irrelevant. You know, we worry so much about, well, am I gonna hurt their feelings? Am I gonna say it right? We have all these fears and worries. And I really I realized you know, a lot of the things that were holding leaders back, and, and I was rated well for giving feedback. So if I had that fear inside of me for people who are not as skilled at giving feedback, how must they feel? And I realized, hey, you know what? Uh, I kind of laugh because my team will tell you, I have a long list of things that I'm always trying to get better at when I run my company. And when I work with executives one-on-one in a coaching situation, I laugh. I raise my own hand. I'm like, oh, yeah, that one is not easy for me either when I'm running my own company. Um, but performance, performance um, issues, things that we do at work, the little fine-tuning that any of us could do so that people would say, you know what? We want to adopt this person at the tribe at the next level in our company or at the senior level in our company. Those behavior tweaks, those mindset tweaks, they're really no big deal. We all have them. We all have this long list. And with some really good data so that we aren't giving feedback through kind of our own unconscious bias or our filters, it's really no big deal. And when you appreciate people for what they do well, uh, are tremendously compassionate and excited about their success, you legitimately want to lift them up, giving them a little bit of performance feedback. If, if you have the right mindset, it's, it's, it's important. It's important to do it well. It's important to be precise. It's also important to validate that it's no big deal that we all have these lists of things that we can do some fine tuning around. If we do the fine tuning around it, it really sets us up to take on bigger challenges and bigger responsibilities. I'm really excited by what you're doing at Waypoint to make those conversations happen more often. I just finished a project working with a global consumer goods uh, company that's very successful. They are known for giving um, comprehensive and good performance reviews. Those happen on an annual basis. I had the chance to look at about 30 of their most successful high uh, potential leaders. Those are leaders who are getting impact uh, financially in their regions, who have highly engaged employees, and who are also executing very strategic, interesting, new, innovative projects for this consumer goods company that haven't necessarily been done before. So the cream of the crop. And I had the chance to look at um, 
two assessments, two leadership assessments they had all participated in, and also read all of their performance reviews. And even in organizations, uh, I've worked with a top five professional um, services firm for a good portion of my career. And we looked at 300 of their performance reviews of their high potential. So even organizations that are known for proactive feedback, they will have paragraphs and paragraphs about how this particular individual is technically executing on a task or leading a team or getting financial metrics. And it's been true in my career for the last couple of decades that there will only be maybe one small sentence or maybe two or three sentences if the performance review is really good that talks about um, the interpersonal skills, the leadership skills, their communication style, their influence style, their mindset, their um, how they're managing stress, um, how they are... Um, at times not inspiring their employees or um, things that might be friction points um, for some of their, their direct reports. And there's so little. And then when we triangulate that with really good data taken from a validated 360 degree assessment, we'll actually see that even those performance reviews that are fairly comprehensive are not really aligned with what everybody else says that leader needs to do to be more successful. And they're not necessarily aligned with what, you know, 12 or 14 other people will say, this is what makes this person differentiated. This is what makes this person great. Those performance reviews are just so, so off. And so the way that, that you at Waypoint are really encouraging weekly conversations and putting some structure around it increases the probability, I think, that people are going to get better, richer feedback about what they're doing, strengthening their relationship with their supervising leader, which means not only is their performance getting better, but they are far more likely to stay. And what do we know? If a person leaves, it takes four to 10 times um, the amount of that person's salary to replace them. So it is, recruiting is expensive. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's fascinating. I think that building those relationships is key to, to maintaining a structurally sound company. Um, in regards to TL acquisition and kind of starting to build those relationships, um, what are some key things that you often tell your clients to, um, start looking for or start implementing into their daily structure, um, their daily work life in order to maintain those after the fact. Um, so these employees come into what feels, what seems to be a structurally sound um, workplace. Well, I think in the conversations that, um, that supervising leaders, any kind of manager can have with an employee, um, and when I work with senior executives um, who are getting ready for a town hall or getting ready to communicate with a lot of analysts or maybe going on, um, you know, media or television and mm -hmm. trying to get ready to address a large number of people, there's a really simple formula. One is when you're talking with people, really appreciate the past, mm -hmm. appreciate what that employee has accomplished 
um, appreciate their, their past accomplishments in maybe other organizations. I heard of an example last week of somebody who was um, struggling maybe a little bit in their career, but they had um, a former military experience and they had just run some of the most fascinating and difficult and challenging and sometimes heartbreaking military operations in their past life. And then they had uh, migrated and gone into um, corporate, you know, a corporate role. And one thing that the manager realized was that if that person slowed down and, and really appreciated the service of the individual and what they had learned in the military, and also appreciated some of the projects that that person had been leading, but it was from a mission, an execution, a strategy perspective, that it was really linked to that, that long history of success. So start with appreciating the past. And then when you get to some of the challenges in the current situation, going back to what I said earlier, um, it's not life or death. In fact, giving people matter of fact, no big deal feedback about their performance is um, one of the greatest services that we can do. And I've got my own long list. Probably by the time you listen to the podcast, you probably figure out what some of my developmental um, fine tuning could be. We all have them. It's no big deal. But having conversations about them and keeping your sense of humor, hey, we're trying to reach these challenges in the business, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you can control, your leadership, how you're getting the job done. Because at the end of the day, most people when they're hired in are fairly competent to do the job, but what gets in their way is how they're making the people around them feel. Even highly analytical people expect um, consistent behavior and a consistent way of approaching a job. So if they're frustrating highly analytical people, there's probably a pretty straightforward way to go about correcting that. So having those rich conversations, not having it be a big deal. I've laughed in my own life. Some of my best coaches are the people that laugh me through my pain. I think a good performance conversation is, is not necessarily light or it doesn't take the, the situation, you know, um, it's not that you don't take it seriously, but that you're playful about it. You're creative about it. Um, and that you remember and remind yourself that it is not life or death. It's just helping people be even better versions of themselves. Um, and then the other thing is get them excited about what's possible in the future if they get through um, their performance. Like, okay, you know, let's say that you really master this. Let's talk about what it would take for you to make your next turn in your career. Or let's talk about what it would take for you to take a stretch assignment. Or let's talk about what it would take for you to take an expat assignment and go work in a different region of the world. What would be possible for you? What would be possible for your loved ones in your family, your life, whatever it may be for the person? Um, so that's important. The other thing that um, working with GE years and oh, almost 20 years ago, and also a top five professional consulting firm, we consistently taught the same giving feedback model. And that is you really specifically say what you have personally observed. I have observed you, something that you see here, it's, it's observable. Here's what I observed, pause, Here's the effect it had either on me personally or on the team or somebody else. 
and then another pause so that they can um, really hear it and then give a suggestion or perhaps ask a question. Um, for instance, uh, Kirsten, when you and I were on the, the call earlier before we started the podcast, you and I spent some time realizing you're from Michigan, I'm from Ohio, uh, we know a lot of the same people in the healthcare environment. And you and I made those connections. Kirsten, that was so lovely of you. I instantly had trust because um, I knew your father, it <laughs> turned out. Um, I've known some other senior leaders that you've worked with. The effect it had on me was uh, just instant trust. I was so excited to work with you and I knew we would have a lot in common and that platform of commonality just, just really got me excited. So now I'm pausing. And then my suggestion would be, that's part of your secret sauce, man. Keep doing that. It's, it's awesome. Um, and, and the other thing that we don't do enough of is we get, you know, this inside seed of fear about giving performance feedback. But um, when we actually really see people, we slow down. We've been studying predictors for executive success um, on an international basis. We have one assessment that we, um, that we use, it's a 360 assessment called the language of influence. Mm -hmm. And when we look at our database, um, over time, over the last 10 years, the one thing that is classically rated among almost all leaders is the ability to give feedback to other people. Um, it's in everybody's bottom 10, so that's why we're talking about it. That's why people need some tools and some assistance to do it well. And interestingly enough, for a lot of people, um, receiving feedback is also in some of their lowest skills. So also being open to the feedback, encouraging it, taking it as a gift, thanking other people, you kind of train people. And if people are good at giving you feedback, say, hey, in that last meeting, you're talking about this issue where maybe I can be dominating at times. Okay, so in that last meeting that we were together, tell me specifically what percentage of the time that I talked. Tell me specifically what you observed as I was addressing the group. Okay, how did I make people feel in the room? How did you feel? That's the effect. Pause, give them time to think about it. And then say, hey, what's your suggestion for me? How can I, how can I get better at that? Um, when you're in a meeting with me, can you give me a signal if I'm talking too long? Whatever it may be. So the other thing that we need to do is we need to also um, show people a really clear path for if they're not getting good feedback for their supervising leader, you're not powerless. If you ask really good questions, you can get really good feedback from other people. Yeah, no, that's huge. And I think that feedback loop too, it's not you just giving feedback to your people, it's you hearing your people as well, be able to understand what they need in order for that, that constant conversation and that relationship to constantly be building. Yeah, That's absolutely. Very interesting. Interesting. Um, well, what would you say in regards to, I know it would be a lot of the repetitive stuff, but managing your people and like, I guess, what if you were in a bad place with an employee and you just didn't know how to get out of that slump of, of managing them? You're, you're trying to have that constant conversation, but they're just not having it. They don't want to deal with it. Um, what would you say to that? 
metrics and and <laughs> I, I, we need good data we need good evidence um yeah. i did my graduate work in counseling psychology kind of uh -huh. laughed because i never really did my undergraduate work in in counseling psychology as well mm -hmm. but i never really practiced psychology one of my biggest frustrations is that even though you might give tests to individual patients or clients you never got really good feedback from their ecosystem or from the, their system around them or the, where they worked or their families. One, one advantage that we have in business and in organizations is that we can collect data, all kinds of ways to collect data. So when you have one individual who's struggling and you can see how they're struggling, but you don't know how to open up the door, First of all, it's always so nice to know, okay, is your unconscious bias creeping in here in any way? So a really good validated 360 assessment where you send out um, to 12 to 14 people to give that leader feedback about what they're doing well and where they could be more effective. It has to be a good assessment can't create a lot of rater fatigue. You might already have assessments in your organization that they've done that are good enough, um, but some sort of metric or measurement so that you can go out and get feedback from the people around them about what they love when they're working with that individual and where that person could do some improvement or some fine tuning. And then you'll find that there's a chorus of people or even a unanimous vote that they do some development around a certain area of how they show up. Right. And when you've got that data and it all points in the same direction, you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief like, okay, it's not just me, but there is a chorus of people saying the same thing. Then you know you've got something worth really spending some time. Now, obviously not everybody is coachable and not everybody wants to take time. We use a really simple, coachability um, just index. It is four or five steps that you look at. Does the person trust you? Uh, have they had historically an openness to feedback? Uh, are they in the kind of mindset uh, mentally so that they're ready to hear the, the feedback? Um, are they skeptical about coaching? Um, whatever it may be, there's, there's a number of factors that we look at, but if they're truly not coachable and they have a long history from a lot of different people of not taking feedback and not making changes, then, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. Yeah. Um, you also need to know, um, if you give them good performance feedback and they choose not to listen, sometimes you have to make some tough decisions. Yeah. But it's, it's a shame to do that until you've really exhausted uh, making sure you've had good, a good overview of their leadership and good partnership with people giving them feedback and giving them a chance. Because sometimes bringing in a different person um, to work with them, to champion them, to sponsor them, adapting your style, not always using your same style. They may have a different communication style than you. There are a lot of variables yeah. to adapting so that you can really open the door that they want to kind of collaborate with you to figure out, oh, okay, how do I get better at this? Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, for sure. That, I think exactly. You have to understand where they're coming from and who they are and the things that they've had in their past that might make them very different than you. You just don't even see that. You have to uncover that. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Barbara. We really appreciate your time. Um, is there any place that these people listening can find you um, to possibly talk to you more? Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome to, to hit our website, which is executivecore.com. Okay. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Barbara Singer, and I'm CEO of Executive Core. What a pleasure, Kirsten. Thank you so much for inviting yes. me to do that. And I would really encourage people not to be afraid of feedback, not to be afraid of having tools like the ones that you guys offer, <laughs> fabulous. And, um, and to, to also use metrics because metrics really also level the playing field to make the workplace more fair and more psychologically safe for everybody. Because I think what we're all ultimately trying to do is make the workplace more welcoming so that far more people can show up and be their absolute best. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, Kirsten, you have a great day. You too, bye-bye. This podcast is proudly produced by Waypoint. What is Waypoint? Well, if you want to coach your team and not manage them, then Waypoint is worth checking out. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more or email me directly, mike at waypointhq.com, and I'll demo it for you myself. Thanks for listening.